0: Speaking of Reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of
1: Reliability. This is Carl Carlson. And this is Fred Schenk. Hey, Carl. Hey, Fred. You know, as we were talking before um, we started the podcast here today, I have moved from one home into our uh, condo. And in so doing, I went through all the old files that I had on uh, reliability, which was just hugely
0: fun and laborious. It only took a few minutes, I'm sure. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure.
1: (laughs) Days and days and file cabinets of stuff. And a lot of it's a lot of fun. But one of the folders is a nice thick folder called Reliability Requirements. Okay. And it had... Uh, lots of different examples of reliability requirements. And I was sort of looking through it just for fun. And there's some really good reliability requirements that people have developed, and there's some really poor requirements. And I thought it'd be fun to just share our experience on what makes for good. I mean, we talk a lot about reliability requirements. What makes for good reliability requirements and what makes for bad reliability requirements? So that's the the, uh, the the purpose of the podcast but
0: what are some of your thoughts on that subject well i go in two different directions on that one is both bad and there <laughs> are good ones there are definitely good ones yet in my experience with so many different clients it's usually one of the very first questions i ask so how reliable is it supposed to be you know how do you How do you, what are you tracking? What are you measuring? What's your requirement here? And then they'll open up their engineering requirements back. And they says, well, on page six, it says it should last for five years. Okay, well, how many of them should last for five years? Well, that's on page 74. We have a warranty (laughs) thing that says we can't spend more than 2% or whatever, some budget criteria, and we can work out, you know, how many failures that is, okay? Well, what environment are you putting this thing in? Oh, well, that's on page 187. Yes. We have to do all these tests. Well, what environment are you putting it in? Your customers aren't using this in a humidity chamber anywhere, are they? And he goes, Oh, no, no, no. Well, almost. They're in Singapore, so you know, or Houston. And it's like, do you have anywhere that you have a concise? This is what you're trying to do here. And, uh, no. So that's one track I get
1: very good that's my my path started when i was at general motors and we used to have uh the reliability quote requirements were actually reliability goals Mm -hmm. um they were not required they were just sort of encouraged and they were very uh uh, field-based so they were the the metric that was used was called defects per thousand vehicles and it was basically warranty type failures failures that they customer would bring into a dealer to get repaired or would uh, cause them distress in some way and then how many of those do you get divided by the number of vehicles and as I learned of course I grew up in reliability and testing and I started looking at that going that does not work as the (laughs) only element
0: of wonder, a reliability requirement. No wonder, wonder the fenders would rust off your vehicle yes. in oh. 10 years, you know, because they only worried about the first three years. You know, back when I was young, the three years was the longest you could get a car warranted. Yes. You know, and so if. I ran into that at HP. Um, And I I know we've talked about the 10X program, but when I talked to Dick Moss about it, one of the things they did is that many of their components, many of their test and measurement pieces of equipment, and they're just getting started in consumer products, had a three month warranty. Mm. And even though the devices, you know, a $50,000, you know, high zoots test and measurement piece of equipment was expensive expected to last at least 5 years maybe 10 years and some are probably still in service right the design team itself understood without it ever being written down that in this market this needs to last this long and it wasn't part of any requirements anywhere the only requirement they had was warranty related so 3 months and so the first thing he did is lobbied that they go to a 1 year warranty on everything and and I said why 1 year he says well we don't we do many of the consumer products had a 6 month development cycle and a 3 month warranty hell our prototypes if they lasted for 3 months then we knew we were good so there was little uncertainty about whether you achieve that goal or not and so the design was to the edge it would it would work for 3 months and not much more and he said Some designers just wanted it to be rock solid and others didn't. And so it was always the weakest link would limit the lifetime of these things. So by making it a year, there was enough uncertainty of whether it made it or not, that most designers intuitively built in more robustness, built in more margin, because they didn't want to be guilty of it not meeting the one year. It wasn't a fear thing. It was a pride thing. They wanted to make sure their part of the design met the minimums. As a, as a minimum, met the minimums, and so it it elevated the expectation. I should rephrase that. It elevated the uncertainty. So the design ended up being more robust, and not only did they achieve the one-year warranty at a much lower rate than they achieved the three-month warranty, um, it was you know, it, it would last three, four, five years, even for simplest products that were struggling prior to it. So part of a good metric whatever the measure is whether it's part you know parts per defect or warranty count or, or field whatever kpi you want to measure it if it encourages the right behavior that you achieve the goals
1: that's, that's good. a great uh, quality objective i the uh, uh the, the the process of setting the requirements and the requirements themselves drive the right behavior to improve the reliability of the product that's a that's really nicely stated
0: well it, you know it's the the example is um i ran into one group that they had like 57 tests that they ran and that was their reliability gauntlet is the way i called it they, they didn't have anything that said it should last a certain amount of time and with certain probability they didn't have any field-related measurements and stuff. It just has to pass all these tests. And it became a checkmark exercise. I passed the test, check, 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 check. Mm -hmm. And every product ended up having a problem because they didn't pay attention to any defect, any issue, any question of the design that wasn't going to affect any of the existing tests. And then once it failed in the field, they'd add another test that was their strategy and like so it became very much a check mark check the box we did a prediction we did an fmea we did this task we did that task we did that bang 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 and and they just consistently um missed the mark of what they were trying to achieve
1: Mm. I, i can understand it so the the um when i looked at the the dptv or that that metric and i said okay what I said that's not going to work. So, what should be the reliability requirements? And I embarked on a path similar to what I did on FMEA. In FMEA, I developed the quality objectives for FMEA. How do you move mm-hmm. away from a check mark into an FMEA that adds quality? And then I had certain quality objectives. Um, and then I did the same thing with reliability requirements, but I built them off of the, the four elements, you know, a measure, it could be a probability or some of the ability to achieve or some measure, the intended function, that was that turns out to be the one that was often missed. Yep. Is the intended function. What is it supposed to do? Because that, if you don't have that tied in to the reliability requirement, then your tests won't make sense. Yeah. And then as you pointed out, the period of time <laughs> that has to be there, then yep. the stated conditions which could be the duty cycle, the duty profile, the environment, Mm -hmm. uh, the customer usage. And if you get all those things together into a requirement, then it's going to be helpful. It'll it'll start driving the right behaviors, as you point out. Yep.
0: I mean, yeah, yet another example of my consulting work is this one group. I think they had, it was close to 50% of their product failed every year. Mm. Of everything they shipped, and they had a two-year warranty on it, so they were essentially <laughs> creating three copies of a, their device for one sale, and they were just bleeding. <laughs> well, it was a medical device, so let's not use that term. But yeah, oh, bleeding <laughs> dollars is what. I <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I know that. Yet yeah, it, there it was all kinds of other issues, but one of the salient things this is well, um, you know. You're working on a make up a part here. You have a compressor in this the system. Well, how do you know that that compressor is meeting the requirements? And it says, "Well, this the system goal is X, and the compressor meets that." And it turned out that, and I'll just use simple math: is that they had, let's say, they had a ninety-five percent reliable over two years target. Uh, which I think was similar to what they had. It, they phrased it a different way, but it turned out to be that. And it, and so if you took the five major elements, subsystems in the product, and each gave them, it was 90% over two years. And if you would do a simple block diagram or a portionment or anything like that, is that if the compressor was at 90%, then everything else had to be perfect, which is not possible. So, what happened was that each of the main parts of the system just barely met the system goal. and they each one of them made the assumption that the other ones would be perfect. They didn't even care about them. Mm-hmm. And when you point point nine to the fifth power, you end up something close to yes. <laughs> fifty <of> percent failures. <laughs> so they mm-hmm. perfectly designed based on the missing concept that the system goal, is the aggregate of all of the components and subsystems and all the other pieces that fit into it. And so just that probability part, if they had a a goal, they had a product goal. And so they all shot for just that product goal. And unfortunately, they all achieved it. Right, (laughs) and (laughs) And it wasn't the right. It wasn't what they were intending to do. They weren't trying to get to a 50% failure rate in the field, but that's what they did. And it was one of those where you know having the overall system goal and the overall part of that it also has to have you know the behavior they were doing was well that's the goal i'll i'll try to achieve that without the basic understanding of well nothing's perfect nothing's going to have zero failure rate so you have to account for the multiple ways the system can fail and i don't know how they missed that it yeah. the the objective itself wasn't serving them but when it's the overall system level has a certain environment and temperatures and everything else on it. Yet inside the box inside the say the electronics component or in a car is under the hood. Well, that's a completely different environment, right? It's got it, petrochemicals and, and sludge and salts and temperature changes and all kinds of weird stuff that just would not be acceptable in the cabin of the car. So it's the, accounting for the different environments and different use structures or systems and that those four elements have to be specific to that item that you're talking about, whether it's a window mechanism or a throttle or the carburetor. Do they still put carburetors in cars? <laughs> <laughs> We're not
1: electric vehicles. Um, yeah. So let's talk widgets just to get it generals because I've got a lot of experience on specific components, but I don't want to violate any boundaries. So widgets. So so you or I are on, on site at a widget company and want to help them get their reliability properly specified. So I'll say to somebody, the widget design engineer or even the reliability engineer, show me your widget specifications because one of the first things I learned is that reliability requirements need to be in the specifications, yep. otherwise they won't be part of the, de- the design. Yep. So show me your widget specifications. Okay, good. Now, where are the reliability requirements?
0: That's well, the first- a little thing. bit here, there's a little bit yeah, there. Yeah, a, a little bit. bit so they might
1: say, well, okay, here's where we say the widget needs to be 99% reliable. That's our reliability requirement. I say, okay, that's one of the four elements. Show me the intended function. That, that reliability number is attached to. Well, we haven't yeah. thought about that. Okay, so now we got to get the reliability requirement attached to the specific widget functions. Show me the time element, the, the time frame with which you're going to measure that reliability. Well, we haven't really decided that, or they have, maybe they haven't have. put it's, it in the specification. And then, lastly, and probably most important, is the stated conditions. Yep. And so, when once you start walking
0: the path, it'll unearth the, the deficiencies in the requirements. It, to be fair, now I'm thinking of electronic widget manufacturers. Let's say they're making a capacitor, simple little mm-hmm. can capacitor that's just about in every electronics board ever ever made. They honestly don't know exactly how their customer is going to use it. You know, they say it's good in these kinds of ranges. And if you go outside that, it's not going to be, it's not going to function very well. Yet they don't really know. They have thousands and thousands of customers, these big tier one or two, uh, component suppliers. They might even have millions of customers. And they're in phones, they're in TVs, they're in, you know, uh, smart lamps there you know and everything on the space shuttle you know or used to be or up on the mm-hmm. space station it's uh, on the outside of the illumination for uh, uh the left wing tip so it glows green or red whichever color it's supposed to be and has a you know it might be a capacitor involved with that they can only hallucinate where all these things go and so specifying the environment is tough yeah, great,
1: great, great topic because uh, that's so common. You have you, you make bolts or you make washers or you make seals or you make, and there's really two paths. One is you make a capacitor for a specific customer in a specific environment. Yeah, that's one path. But what you're talking about is where you just make them, and they could be used in a variety. That's where it's so important to have your 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 sheet your your what you call it your design sheet or um, has to say to the customer here's the re- here's the reliability of this part under these circumstances yeah for this time element for this function for the state of conditions
0: yeah a capacitor is the easy one You say this is a five volt capacitor if you put a five thousand volts across it it will evaporate <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> right that's right <laughs> Although they don't see that on sale sheets very often. They don't like talking about stuff like that.
1: There's a tremendous spinoff benefit when you get reliability correctly specified. Number one, internally you can test because now you know what to test to and all of that. So it's really yep. important. But externally, you go to the purchasing department. If reliability is properly specified in the specifications, in the requirements document, then when the purchasing arm of the company Goes out for bids, they will bid on a part that meets reliability requirements. They won't just because they ran into this so often. Okay, it's gonna cost X dollars for a widget. And I say, okay, but we want it to be this reliability. Well, that's
0: gonna cost you more. Yeah, that cost you more. Yeah. Well, let's do that. That's
1: <laughs> stupid. What are we are we buying reliable widgets or are we just buying junk? And so I worked really hard. And not just the GM, but in a lot of companies I work with to get reliability in the specifications. So then you can buy reliable parts.
0: Well, one of the, yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. One of the things I run into is it was a medical device. And I think the quality arm of their organization was out of control. Was, I asked for the specifications and I'm looking through it. And it's what are these little numbers that look like, like footnotes or head, you know, uh, little tags on certain phrases. What are those? And all that quality department reads it. And they say, that's a requirement. And it says, why doesn't the reliability part have on it? He says, because they don't know how to measure it. So they don't make it a requirement. Everything else has to be verified. They have to run a test or something they believe is quantifying that you've met that element. So they came up with that it's it wasn't optional but it was treated as optional this is recommended or you know good to have reliability value yet if- the reason I was there is that they were suffering losing market share because their products weren't very reliable uh, the buttons worked just fine because you could push a button and the light would come on and then they they could measure that but the quality group really didn't know how to measure a five or ten year reliability of something of some part of the system so they didn't make it required. And there was all kinds of other problems with that process, but uh, the the importance of it being part of what's required doesn't mean that you have to test it. I think the requirement itself has value in setting the targets. Yes. uh, So that a a design engineer or the procurement folks or whatever are at least considering, hey, this really has to last for five years. If it's uncertain, I'm going to. Hedge my bet and get something that's even more likely to last for five years. It might not be perfect, but it's it encourages decisions that mitigate not meeting the requirement. That goes back to that behavior change kind of thing. Back when I was at GM, and
1: even in in carried with me all these years, I have a document, and I'll put it in the show notes called Reliability Requirements Objectives. It's ten aspects or characteristics of good reliability requirements number one is measurable mm-hmm. and that's what you've been talking about it's so important because i've seen countless reliability quote requirements unquote that are not requirements
0: because you can't measure them or or they choose that to measure them because it's difficult that's what i recommend doing yeah. yeah that's right and we don't have time to go over all the 10
1: they're basically um Different ways of saying the, the four elements of the reliability definition. Yeah, um, but one of them, I, I'll just give an example, is I call it assumptions, and it's the assumptions that go into the development of the requirements are valid. For instance, if somebody has a requirement of MTBF, it's going to fail the assumption test. Very often, <laughs> most often, well, often, yeah, yeah, and so I wanted these are the. 10 things that are not all part of the four parts of the definition, but they're experiential. That uh, they need to have good assumptions. We need to, I even include things like degradation, because you may have a requirement that makes sense for year one, but it part degrades year two, three, four. So the intended function has to make sense over the entire time period.
0: Yeah, it has to have enough yeah. built-in capacity or capability that even after degradation, it still functions. Exactly,
1: yeah.
0: exactly. So it's kind of a fun
1: topic that um, for people to think about, which is this body of knowledge, the field we're in called reliability engineering. How should you specify reliability so that you can buy reliability parts and you can create the right tests? So you, as you point out, so you can drive the right behavior and that's the subject of, uh, of discussion. And if you're a listener and you have some ideas about how reliability could be specified, or maybe even a question about how to do it in your company, we'd love to hear from you.
0: Yeah. And please don't say you're using MTBF. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> Hopefully that message gotten across. Uh, that was my other track is that, yeah, no, don't do that. Or MTT, anything. Um I hate, but to say I agree. It, but I was on
1: a, a web meeting this week where somebody brought
0: brought up that as a valid, uh, and of course, I tend to get focal. yeah, No, thanks for the you know, making that happen. it it's one person at a time. It's all we can do. yes, uh, we'll, we'll keep the message alive. But the four elements is a great place to start. Yeah, and I agree with Carl is if you've got a comment or a question on this of what you know is your approach working or is it not and how do you know and all those if you have success stories we'd love to hear about it let us know head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash sor and there you can find a couple of different ways to get in touch with us or uh, Carl and I and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn or on our about pages so plenty of ways to get in touch with us and one final note here Carl is that one of the I ran into a group that everybody on the team knew exactly what the require reliability requirements were. They could state it without having to look it up. They knew what it was and it was very succinct. And they all said exactly the same thing. Wow, this is great. They really communicated these requirements really well. Yet then when I asked, well, what do you do about it? And I got three different answers. And then the fourth person I talked to is the manager. And she said, well, we don't measure it. So it doesn't really matter. Oh, God, I don't know. So they all knew what
1: it was, but they didn't
0: do anything with it. Well, the manager didn't care. And so one person gold-plated everything because it was near impossible to solve to to achieve that from their point of view. The next person was, well, you know, our product's really easy to meet those requirements. Well, they had no evidence one way or the other if they were meeting them or not. And they said, well, I can buy the cheapest components, I can buy the easiest stuff, and I simplify the design and everything else. And they're working on the exact same circuit board. And mm-hmm. one was one end of the extreme versus the other, that third person was in the middle. And as in the, the reason for it was it wasn't monitored, it wasn't measured, it wasn't tracked. There was no feedback mechanism. So if you have a, a measure, a, even a really, really well-crafted requirement You still got to measure it. Sounds like the subject of another podcast. I I certainly agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks, Carl. Thanks for bringing this one up. Yeah, thanks, Fred. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation. If you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.